Welcome to the Thunderstock Show. On this episode, I have my friend and cohort, Carrie Ryan. I met Carrie through CMOX. Carrie is a very interesting person with a great background. I can't wait for you to hear her story. As always, I don't run any advertisements on the show. The only fee that I ask for is if you like the show, to share it with a friend, leave a review, or otherwise subscribe and like it. Without further ado, Carrie, how are you doing today? I am awesome, Ross. I am having a great day. It's Friday. I am looking forward to the weekend. This weekend has kind of rocked, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. And yes, I picked a good day to have you on. That's after right. The day of the week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Carrie, for those that don't know, because we live on opposite ends of the country not so much anymore that now that you're no longer in right. uh, texas but you know I, i'm in the north i'm in uh kind of near uh, philadelphia area can you tell us a little bit about you know who you are where you came from and what got you to where you're at yes so i am carrie ryan i will go way back i grew up on a farm in farmland of kansas uh Eventually moved to Texas as an adult, well into my career, and because uh, I had to follow the jobs, that was 2008 when everything tanked. So I followed the money and mm-hmm. went to Houston, thinking I was gonna go to Austin eventually, and I never did. So then, uh, about four months ago, well, this happened last year, but four months ago, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, because mm-hmm. I had, I was over the heat, I was over the concrete and the noise and uh and just the general state of the state so i um wanted to get to some mountains i had grown up in the flatlands and lived in the flatlands my whole life i wanted some mountains without the snow so here i am in Asheville. that's a very interesting way to put it you wanted mountains without the snow yes i'm on the north end of appalachia very close to it yeah mountains but we get snow oh Sorry. <laughs> I You're the best of both that. worlds. Yeah, exactly. No, that's what I, that's what sold me when I got here was uh, and I was visiting. We stopped off in some little tiny town and some little visitor center. And it was an old retired couple that were running it. And they explained to me that uh, Asheville is in the middle of, I forget what the term is, but it's like a thermal belt. And they said, oh. we're between two mountain ranges everything goes up and over and doesn't come down. So we get like one snowfall a year. It's just a few inches. We don't get extreme cold. We don't get extreme heat. And I said, sign me up. So here I am. Everyone that's listening, don't get the idea. Not, to move don't there. get the idea. Everybody already has. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> it's impossible to get housing here. So good luck. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. That's cool. So you told us that you traveled to Houston chasing a job. What job was that? What was the career path you took? I um I had just finished grad school. So my undergrad, I was a graphic designer. And that I found it to be not the challenge I needed and it didn't make enough money and didn't have a, a future for enough money. Um, so I was good at it. I wasn't the best at it. It wasn't my passion. Mm -hmm. So I went back to grad school for business, um, because I knew I, I 
I knew I had an innate sense for marketing and wanted to understand the perspective from a business owner of okay. how they run business. How does it work? What are your pain points? You know, how does that, how does an entrepreneur become a business owner that then succeeds, right? So my focus was in an entrepreneurship at Wichita State. And for those people listening who don't know this, Wichita, Kansas is an entrepreneurial hub. Back in the 90s, um, it was probably the, I think it was considered the top um, annual revenue per capita per person. So it was like the highest income because the Pizza Hut owners start, started there. Papa John's started there. Rena Center started there. Like a lot of major franchises started in Wichita, Kansas. So who would have known, right? So yeah, uh, I learned. <laughs> right. So I um, then went on to, um, at the tail end of grad school, uh, got really interested in um, technology transfer, which is basically taking original IP, intellectual property, and getting it out to market. Okay. Uh, I had, before I started grad school, I, I read um, Tom Kelly's book from IDEO, which the name is escaping me right now, but it was all about the the idea of how new products and ideas get to market. And within that book, it, it triggered, made me realize, oh, within product development and ideation, I could be the marketer. I'm not the person who comes up with the idea. I'm not the designer, but I think I'd be fantastic at helping them get to market. So went to technology transfer, absolutely loved it. Um, Tried to convince them to get me a job on there, but since it's a school, it has an annual budget with annual um, cycles for bringing job roles in, but I couldn't wait that long. Mm. I needed a job. And in Wichita at the time in 2008, there were no jobs. I had one interview that entire year. Um, mm. So <laughs> I came down to Texas and of course, Wichita State called me at some point while I was down there and said, hey, the job's here. And I said, too late. I can't go. But I I mean, I do kind of look back and go, oh, really wish I could have done that job. It was so yeah. fun. So that's where my passion is as a marketer is helping innovators and engineers who develop great ideas and help them get out to market. Um, and that's how I... Um, you know, something we were talking about uh, a few minutes ago before this started was um, how to invent yourself and how to brand yourself. Mm -hmm. And being a graphic designer in Wichita, that's all everybody knew me for. And I had a wide network. And once you have kind of a reputation of, of being good at something, that's what people come to you for. And I was like, no, no, I want to go to marketing and I want to drop the design stuff and expand what I'm doing. So when I moved to Houston, people said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a marketer. And it worked. It stuck. Right. So I started, you know, I built my own website. I did other stuff to promote myself. Mm -hmm. um, I took a job down there only because it got me down there. Mm -hmm. um, it lasted maybe a year 
it was a not a good fit for me. Um, but I took that and ran. And then I started an agency, had that for a few years, eventually went to corporate, uh, working with technologists. So that took me back to, okay, I get to work with really smart people who are creating amazing things. Um, and then eventually, that was a good 10 years. I'm going through my whole history here. <laughs> what was the original question? <laughs> well, the original question, I guess, was what's your history? And I think you nailed the answer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so it seems like the problem that you're helping to solve people is they you love working with inventors, intelligent people, people mm -hmm. that have IP as their uh, you know passion or their their gift to the world, and you love helping them get into market. And you right. realize that you had to reinvent yourself from being just in that what people knew you in the past as a graphic designer. You almost had to move somewhere else in the map in order mm -hmm. to get a new set of people and be like, this is the new carry. I'm a marketer. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So <clears throat> what were some of the, so marketing is your vehicle to help, to help these uh, engineers help society. You know, it, it, you're passionate about it. You, you love getting them results, but I mean, that journey, there's probably some bumps in the road, some obstacles. So like what were some internal beliefs that you might've held that oh. were like really tough to get over? Like what were some of those challenges that you're just like, you know, cause I'm lucky enough to have you as an accountability partner. So we share our yeah. present day, <laughs> present right. day obstacles, but in order to get to present day, you must've had to overcome some quite a few things. Oh yeah. Um, well, that's a good question. So a lot of it, and I'm still learning this to this day is your internal dialogue is one thing. What are you telling yourself? And something I learned a long time ago is the words that you say to yourself, would you say those to your friend? Would you actually say those words? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't tell your friend that they're stupid. You wouldn't tell your friend that they're no good at this, that they're, you know, not um, not smart enough to get this done. Um, so why say that to yourself? Because it's not true, right? That's just, we lie to ourselves all the time about what we can accomplish. And so I learned a long time ago that you just got to have the bravado to say, I am this, this is what I do. Um, and then you kind of grow into it, right? You fake it till you make it because it actually is training your brain to say, no, you do do this and you do it well. So just go do it. Um, other obstacles, oh man, politics, not national politics. I'm talking about office politics. Okay. That, that is, wow. <laughs> that's something I've learned as a, as an entrepreneur, even just, and that's kind of where, how I ended up here today is, you know, I look back at my history and think either you step into a company where it, the culture is very supportive and they let your entrepreneurial spirit shine. They love new ideas. Yes. Test it out. Go for it. You can make a mistake. It's okay. As long as you learn from it. Or you step into one where somebody sees you as a threat and 
they're your boss or they're someone who has influence and it's just an uphill battle like the entire time. And that's just, mm-hmm. nobody wants to live like that. So that's another thing that I learned going forward is okay. Understanding the environment I'm stepping into um, and the personalities. Right. Right. Um, so you learned it was a lesson in who not to work with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes those lessons are the hardest, but some could be the most valuable. Right. So now, you know, like after, after learning that lesson, you walk into the interview and at, that's one of the first questions. Hey, what's your culture like? Mm. Tell me about in, in this scenario, what typically happens, you know? So then you start, you know, we old people have learned a lot <laughs> that, you know, here are the things you talk about and you ask when you get there. Um, what else have I learned? I've learned that, and this one was another hard one, um, going through failure that is deep, um, recognizing that there's always a path out. Mm. There's always an upswing. There's always, that's a good lesson. Yeah. That's, that's, I even had at some point in my life called my dad and been like, and these are not things that I talk to him about normally, you know, like, here's where my headspace is. And I was 40. And he was like, Carrie, you don't realize because we never talk about it. I fully failed at 40. And I'm back up at the top at 60. Mm-hmm. Right. I got here. It's fine. Your sister hit another. At, we all about 40 years old tanked. <laughs> and then we got back up and went back at it. And we picked back up. So I was like, okay, okay, that's the lesson I needed to hear. <laughs> so I love how much perspective somebody with more experience can give because, right. you know, for me, I know there were times in my career that felt like the world is ending and how I'm ever right. this. And then I look back at the memory and I cherish it because I'm like, oh, I did make it through that. Exactly. And sometimes my mom and dad. Gave me really good advice. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's fun to look back and go, well, you know, if I lived through that and I'm survived that, I can survive this next thing. I mean, that was pretty severe. So I'm good. <laughs> so like, what would you say motivated you to go from, I mean, I get graphic design to marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. So you want to reinvent yourself. You want to have a higher impact with your target. Um, you know, the people you want to work with, that your tribe, your peeps. Right. Um, but to go from like a marketer in the corporate to being an entrepreneur as a fractional CMO, what was a triggering event? Tell us, tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, sure. Uh so the industry I was in typically wasn't marketing heavy. So it's oil and gas. And these are companies that have been around for a hundred years. They have big names. They don't think they need anybody to talk about it and tout it. Right. They're good. They're solid. Mm. It's very big ego. (laughs) It's very big ego. Um, Okay. I understand the office politics now. (laughs) Well, I mean, that was in that industry, there was different politics. Um, It was, it was more about um, engineers. 
I love engineers, but the, when the culture is based around the engineer is the brilliant one and the engineer can do anything and everything, you're just that lowly marketing person. Okay. That's, that's when, and like in oil and gas, they will let an engineer work any role within the company, including marketing. They know nothing about marketing, but no. they'll come in and put them over you. <laughs> right. And I'm like, no. So I got to the point where I realized, oh, I have no, I have nowhere to go. I got my, I, I pushed myself up into management and then I realized I have literally have nowhere to go up this ladder because there's an engineer who's going to get that next role and an engineer and an engineer and an engineer. So I was like, you know, I have all this experience and I'm, I'm done with Houston. Um, done with Texas. So I originally, um, I'd also gone through some burnout through the pandemic, you know, like right. a lot of people. So when I uh, came to Asheville, I was just taking a break. I was like, okay, figure out what you want to do next. Do you even want to do marketing? Do you want to just do art? What is it? What's it look like? Looking at the whole picture, not just the career driven decision. Right. Exactly. So, you know, looking at like so many people who came out of the pandemic and said, what's important in life? Yeah. Is it, is it the, the grind or is it finding balance, finding beauty, finding joy um, and doing what you really get impact from instead of just showing up to the nine to five. That's so, a very, it's a very Cosmo uh, European way to look at things. I know mm -hmm. people I've talked to from Europe that, they don't understand why would you want to work for 70, 80, 90 hours a week? Like, right. Is that like, is there something wrong with you? Are you okay? Do you need medical? Yeah, attention? Exactly. Yes, we you do. Know? Mental health. We need mental health attention. And it, you know, and one of the lessons I think we can learn from that kind of cultural um, perspective is that you can have a very good life. If you just like lower your expectations of your financial commitments to things. Right. If you're like, Oh, I value like nature. And right. spending time with loved ones and taking care right. of myself, you know, you don't need to exactly. have, you don't need to aspire to be a seven figure earner every year. Right. Yeah. I don't and aspire it, to have a 3,500 square foot house. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yep. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how I ended up. So, well, I guess I didn't tell the whole thing. So I came, came to Asheville before I left Houston and I'd already quit my job. Someone I knew from 10 years before came to me and said, hey, uh, I've had this business you've known about for a long time. Um, actually, it's starting to pick back up again, but it's kind of in startup modes like reboot. Uh, would you be willing to help me for with it? And I said, yeah, sure. And uh, as I got to thinking about it, I was like, hey, couldn't I just do a handful of these kinds of clients and work with these smart guys and these engineers? get back directly to having impact and passion about it um, instead of indirectly through a big corporation and talk to a coach here. And he said, you know, that's, that's what fractional is. And I was like, Oh, Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it just is like, I've heard that term for so long and just never dawned on me what it meant. Mm -hmm. um, so then I was, I was like, Oh, that's it. That's that. That's what I want to do. I want I want to help innovators directly have impact for their businesses, but I also want the freedom to make my life the way I want it. 
and not have tell them, have someone tell me you're coming into the office two days a week and you're going to work this many hours and get this many weeks off. Blah, blah, blah. No, I, I'm charting my own path. Mm-hmm. So that's the, and I think it's, it's common with middle leaders, you know, you've, you've done the grind, you're exhausted. No, I want more control over, over my life. So it seemed like the, the perfect, um, perfect scenario. It's just now I'm learning how to do the sales part, which I have never done before. <laughs> so I know a lot of people like you are great at sales. Um, I don't know if so I'm, I'm great at sales, I'm but I appreciate it. the compliment. It, to, to your point about the the fractional, that epiphany you had, um, I, re- I want just a quick share. It sounds like yeah. you and I are similar in that at one point we thought we love parts of what we do. And then the fractional cut out the parts we don't love. Right. Exactly. Focus That's on exactly doing that, it. which we do love. Exactly. Um, and that takes advantage of the skills that we have and what we're good at. And when business is recognized, and I think this is something that is going to be a trend moving forward after the pandemic is more and more people. Trend. Yeah. That more and more people are going to be doing this where they're like, no, I'm going to support companies as a freelancer to do specifically what I do great so that they actually get more bang for their buck mm-hmm. and come out ahead using a bunch of freelancers or freelancers and fractionals to get the job done instead of hiring someone full-time for 20 years who eventually hates their job and just kind of comes in and does the basics. It is, it is a different economy than it was even 50, 60 years ago. When oh, people, for sure. When people, people would stick with one job out of college stay there for 30 years, get a gold watch and a pension. Doesn't happen anymore. Right. And I think the pension was the big part, right? So my oh, yeah. parents were from that era and it's like, well, why would you give that up? It's such a huge benefit. And they were making more at the time than we do today, right? Oh yeah, and by, they, a, by and a substantial by long shot. Right. So it made sense. You're comfortable. You only work eight hours a day. You come home and then you're off, right? It's not, There's no computer to sit down to. Um, when you're at home, so of it's course. easy to compartmentalize. And you're not competing in a global market where I'm, you know, putting right. bids against Europe and against Asia to do the same job. Right. It's like who's exactly. local to this location? Yeah. I, you know, I think everyone can agree about like gender pay gap. Like we want men and women yep. to be paid the same for the same job. But yep. like, I don't think we agree on generational pay gap where we want today's. Right today's economy to get paid for the same job equivalent exactly. to like like why to me it's like okay we're all in agreement on gender pay gap okay why yeah. aren't we on agreement with all the other factors yeah i mean that probably 15 years ago i remember a young guy talking about living in a small town his dad worked at the factory made x amount of dollars house cost this much He's like, yep. I work at the same factory 20 years later. I'm making a dollar more an hour than he did. And housing is four times as much. So tell me how in the world I'm supposed to be loyal to a company that mm-hmm. doesn't isn't loyal back to me. And that's really the trend is that more and more companies are taking the the value of their taking the money out of the value of their people. And giving it to the top guys, really. And so the the little guys who are making everything run aren't able to keep up. 
and the graph is starting to look like a hockey stick, right? Yeah, exactly. Like there's some large companies where the executive gets paid like some multiple over the median household income that's just astronomical. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I, like I don't want. I don't want to support Russian oligarchy. Why would I want to support, you know, United <laughs> States oligarchy? It doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I had, a grand, I had a grandfather who raised eight children and a, had a wife off of a, one police officer's income. Wow. And like, that was my grandfather. It's you know, doable. To, yeah. To, yeah. Today he'd be like 88 years old, 89 years old if he was still with us. And it's like, that's one, that's two. I'm only... Two generations, Two generations after that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the epiphany for me, for you and I are like, there's, there's more to life. We can have more impact. We can make more money. We can yeah. work with people we like while still enjoying life. Right. It, what's not to love. Exactly. Exactly. I was talking to a, a guy who's probably retirement age is doing fractional. And he's like, man, it's great. Like I have one client right now and if they go away, I might get another one. I might add one, but at the same time, I just also kind of take some money out of my savings. If I don't want, if I want to go fishing for three months, I love that freedom. <laughs> I for just him. go do that. Right. I love that freedom. That's what I want. That's what I want. I, um, I met someone on a plane when I was traveling one time, he was my age, you know, not, I was still pretty, pretty young in his career at this point. It was yeah. a couple of years ago. And he goes, Oh, I'm just coming back from Puerto Rico. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, Oh, I'm a business owner here in town. We're open from April until September. And then I hunt and fish <laughs> and I vacation yeah. with my family the rest of the month. I'm like, excuse me. Like that's an yeah. option to be a fractional business owner. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you, I was gonna spit out my drink in the flight. I was like, you've got to be joking. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I mean, I work really hard for the man or for the, you know, government paying my taxes. And he goes, yeah. honestly, with what I do in my spare time, with the amount I hunt and fish, because I'm not spending money because I'm feeding my family and, and all that. He's right. Goes, he goes, you know, it's just getting progressively better and better. I'm like, okay, I need to figure out a way that I can live my calendar year in accordance with those values. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay. How can how can really smart inventors with IP that they have that want to go to market get a hold of you? Um, how can people contact you? Well, this is hard to say over the internet or over a, a, a call. My acronym or my uh, moniker is K Ryan Out Loud. <laughs> which when you say it fast is crying out loud. So it's my name, Carrie Ryan, cryingoutloud.com. I love that moniker. <laughs> um, well, for crying out loud, just go out to cryingoutloud.com. Um, check out Carrie's website if that's who you are. And if you liked listening to this, this story, this interview, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Carrie, for coming on. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks.